0: Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery.
1: Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home? at that's Byte.com, that's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
2: You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
3: Good morning. Charles Osgood is off today. I'm Lee Cowan, and this is a special edition of Sunday Morning, a program about guns and America. Our intent is not to take sides or pass judgment this morning, but rather to take stock and cast light on a debate that seems to be growing ever louder with committed and sincere advocates on both sides. And with a summer that has brought us horrific incident after horrific incident, the time seems right to explore our nation's long and complicated relationship with guns. That's perhaps not surprising, considering the role guns have played in this country from our earliest days, as we will see in our cover story. It's been said God made man, but Samuel Colt made them equal.
4: This is the
5: type of weapon that would have been used at Lexington or Concord.
3: While guns offer a window into our history, the view hasn't always been crystal clear.
6: I think that for most of our history, uh, guns were viewed more as a tool, um, and that more in the 20th century, we see a convergence of gun love and a large number of guns.
3: Ahead... How America's love affair with firearms may have started as only a cool crush. For more and more American women these days, a concealed handgun is the weapon of choice, as our Tracy Smith saw for herself. It's no secret
0: that more women are carrying guns, but where they carry them might surprise you.
7: Are there bra holsters? There are, and normally I have a few. But you're sold out? Yeah. In that
3: figure.
0: Fire! Ahead this Sunday morning, female firepower.
3: When an unsupervised child picks up an unsecured gun, the result can be tragic. Martha Teichner will have one such tale.
8: I thought of it like any other, you know, toy gun that I had, because it looked very similar. At age 10,
9: Sean Smith accidentally killed his little sister.
10: She's dead. She's dead? Yes, please get my mom and dad. My
9: An unlikely tragedy? Not, according to a landmark study of boys and guns. How hard is it to pull the trigger? Ahead this Sunday morning, a powerful urge to play.
3: Now, we're not the only country struggling over gun-related issues. 20 years ago in Australia, a mass shooting there was the action that caused a sweeping reaction. Seth Doan takes us there. A lone gunman
1: killed 35 people. It rattled a country
11: and its then prime minister. You knew right away you had to do something? It demonstrated so dramatically what happened when a madman got hold of uh, rapid-firing weapons. Ahead on Sunday
1: morning, Australia's dramatic response to its worst-ever mass shooting.
3: In parts of the American West, guns are a way of life, a way of life shared by young and old alike. As our newest Sunday Morning contributor, Ted Koppel, will be showing us.
4: This town was founded by and named after William F. Cody, known to the world as Buffalo Bill. There are more guns here on a per capita basis in Wyoming than anywhere else in the country. And the passion for firearms is ingrained at a young age. Good job. A very young age. Families and their guns here in the town that Buffalo Bill Cody built later on Sunday morning.
12: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
3: No other developed country embraces firearms the way ours does. The more we argue about them, the more, it seems, their mystique grows. But just how guns became part of our cultural DNA has been a long journey. And that is where we begin. Of all the artifacts that were aboard the good ship Mayflower, not a single gun is known to have survived. But historians believe they were probably there, accompanying the pilgrims to Plymouth Rock. Guns are so woven into the fabric of our founding that, on the fourth floor of the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History, they have their very own vault. I'm sure there's people that would give anything to come in here and see these <laughs> things, right?
13: Yeah, I get lots of visitors who are just astounded and don't want to
3: leave. All right. David Miller is the curator here. He's got guns of all shapes and sizes and calibers.
5: Don't you ooh, that one is probably from Russia
3: and everyone has a historic reason for being here.
13: This is the type of weapon that
5: would have been used at Lexington or Concord.
3: It's not the gun that kicked off the revolution with that shot heard round the world, but it's similar. The musket is now in every history book. It's come to symbolize freedom and independence, even celebrated on Broadway in the smash hit Hamilton. Shot, I am not going to my... Guns are just part of our everyday language. Going off half-cocked, flash in the pan, bite the bullet. They're all rooted in firearms lore. But were we really born a gun culture? Historian Pamela Haig says, not necessarily.
6: Listen to how many sentences begin with something like, Americans have always, they have always loved guns, they have always had guns. These things are much more complicated than that. The meanings of guns have changed.
3: In her book, The Gunning of America, Haig says most settlers viewed the gun as a tool, as necessary and yet as ordinary, as a plow or an axe.
6: We think we have a gun culture because of this special, exceptional status with guns, but really, commercially, the gun was extremely unexceptional. It was very much treated like any other commodity.
3: At the start of the Revolutionary War, we didn't even have enough arms to outfit the Continental Army. Today, however... It's estimated we have more guns than people. So how did we get from there to here and here?
6: The gun industry is not the only reason that we got here. However, it is the reason that never gets talked about.
3: It's not just a matter of salesmanship, but gun industrialists like Oliver Winchester and Samuel Colt did their level best to create a market for their wares. Out of their factories in Connecticut, what came to be known as Gun Valley. They would soon produce firearms with the same speed and efficiency as Henry Ford would later do with the automobile. Best known, the Winchester 73 and the Colt Single Action Army Revolver, two of the guns that won the West. But as the frontier disappeared, so did the desire of many Americans to own a gun.
6: These guns were not just selling themselves. They weren't just flying off the the shelf.
3: So by the 20th century, gun started to market their guns, not just as a tool, but a feeling.
6: What was once needed now had to be loved.
3: There was a strong appeal to the young, too, and the notion of the gun as a rite of passage.
6: One of the more interesting ads said, you know your boy wants a gun. You just don't know how much. He can't tell you. It's beyond words.
3: <laughs> For parents worried about real guns, there were catalogs full of toy ones, a must-have. Oh, there it is. Immortalized in what is now a Christmas classic.
14: The Red Rider 200 shot range model air
4: rifle.
3: It resembled the iconic rifles of the Wild West. <laughs> and nothing romanticized the gun better than the cowboy. From real life legends like Wild Bill Hickok, Wyatt Earp, and Annie Oakley, <laughs> to Hollywood immortals like John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart. The gun came to represent the rugged individualism of the untamed West. As the good guys and bad guys changed, so did the guns.
8: Say hello to my little friend!
3: Some became as famous as the stars who fired them. Go ahead. Make my day. We do take our guns seriously, owning them as a constitutional right. But we've also tried to legislate how to control them.
6: Americans have always had mixed feelings about guns, so for as much as the gunslingers are part of our heritage, so too is uh, disquiet and discomfort with guns.
3: Even in the supposed Wild West, towns like Tombstone and Dodge City prohibited people from carrying guns in public. FDR signed the first federal gun control legislation in 1934, hoping to reduce the number of bootlegging gangsters armed with Tommy guns and the like. Then, fast forward three decades.
13: President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time.
3: John F. Kennedy's assassination, along with Robert Kennedy and the Reverend Martin Luther King, Jr., led President Lyndon Johnson to push through the Gun Control Act of 1968.
14: We have been through a great deal of anguish uh, these last few months and these last few years. Too much anguish to forget
3: too much anguish back then. But what about now? The shooting at an Orlando nightclub in June was the worst mass shooting in modern history. Weeks later, in Dallas, police were ambushed during a Black Lives Matter protest. In both cases, the guns were bought legally. In fact, incidents like that tend to spur the sales of even more guns. In the year after the Sandy Hook massacre, U.S. gunmakers produced nearly 11 million firearms. Not far from Sandy Hook, in Hartford, Connecticut, sits a church built by Samuel Colt's widow. It stands as a unique symbol of where guns sit in our culture today. Because mixed in with the cherubs and the saints, you'll find her husband's firearms as art on the walls mingling with the ivy hidden at the top of the church's columns. And maybe that's the place guns will always occupy, worshipped by many, their presence carved in stone. So I drew a head.
10: And you killed this man. And I killed him.
3: Good guys with guns. Good guys with guns are the best defense against bad guys with guns. Or so goes one argument. But how does that theory stand up in practice? Rita Braver takes a closer look.
10: The video surveillance from an Albuquerque motel shows it clearly. A man paces the corridor. A woman exits her room to get
6: something from her car and then returns. And from out of nowhere, this guy came back around the corner And this time he had a gun and he was pointing it right at my abdomen. At that very moment, Lynn Russell's husband,
10: Chuck DeCaro emerged from the shower.
13: And he then moved the gun from pointing at my wife to pointing at me. And he said, I need your money.
10: But the gunman did not know that Russell, a former CNN anchor, and DeCaro, a former CNN reporter, who trained as a special forces soldier, habitually travel with guns that they are licensed and trained to use. You were able to actually move your gun from the nightstand into your purse?
6: Right. I slipped one of the guns into the purse and handed it to Chuck and said, take a really good look inside here because see if there's anything you can find that we want to give the man. And Chuck looked and he said, yes, there is.
10: And they say as the suspect started to shoot.
8: So I drew.
10: DeCaro fired back. And you killed this man. And I killed him. But you got shot yourself. Yeah,
14: well, that's the nature of the game. It's called combat.
10: You might call them good guys with guns, an idea touted by Donald Trump after the June attack in Orlando.
1: And one of the people in that room happened to have it and goes, boom, boom. You know what? That would have been a
11: beautiful, beautiful sight, folks. That would have been a beautiful, beautiful sight. Wayne LaPierre.
10: And it's become a rallying cry for Wayne LaPierre.
11: The NRA will go the distance.
10: CEO of the National Rifle Association, the nation's most prominent gun rights group.
11: The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun.
10: We asked to speak with LaPierre.
6: Millions of Americans share the NRA's vision.
10: But instead, the NRA provided former president and current board member Sandy Froman of Tucson. Could a good guy with a gun really stop a terrorist attack? I think a good guy with a gun could protect himself or herself. I think if you have a choice of of using your gun to save your life or having your life taken, then yes, I think you should have that choice. Basically, the thought is the more law-abiding people own and are trained to use guns, the safer we'll all be. Exactly. Exactly. This is also a personal issue for Froman, who purchased her first gun at 32 after an attempted break-in at her home. I think that we all need to be prepared in case something really evil happens to us. And gun sales are up, with background checks on buyers hitting a record high of more than 23 million last year.
11: Start scenario, bang,
6: bang!
10: Even some school personnel, like these in Ohio, are preparing for the worst. While many gun rights advocates say it's time to end most bans on guns in public places, known as gun free zones. Somebody intent on rape or robbery or murder is not going to obey that little circle with the line through it. So, so, so you why think should these I people be... are sitting ducks? Sitting ducks, that's exactly right. But Dallas Police Chief David Brown, speaking after five officers were shot and killed, says, these good guys actually complicate matters for police.
11: It's been the presumption that a good guy with a gun is the best way to resolve some of these things. Well, we don't know who the good guy is versus who the bad guy is if everybody starts shooting.
8: We heard this loud like bang, bang, bang with
1: these successions of of noises. And
10: Colin Goddard has been in the thick of a gunman's attack. He was in French class at Virginia Tech on that day in 2007.
1: You could hear it and then it was getting louder and then all of a sudden you could see bullets coming in the front of the classroom.
10: Goddard was lucky. Though shot four times, he recovered. 32 people were killed. Yet he rejects the idea that good guys with guns could have saved the day.
1: There was never really a thought that came in my mind during the course of the event. I was much more concerned with how can we do a better job of stopping the one gun from coming into that classroom than trying to put a gun in every single classroom of of my school. You know, that felt like would be a much more dangerous situation.
10: Goddard now works advocating for stronger gun control laws that he says would keep guns away from the bad guys in the first place. The NRA insists we don't need more laws. Every time you pass a new law, instead of enforcing the existing laws, you further burden law-abiding citizens. Chuck, obviously the cane, that, none of that was there before, huh? No. As for Chuck DeCaro, he's now undergone six surgeries. He and his wife, Lynn Russell, believe that their right to bear arms saved their lives. But they say being a good guy with a gun is not a political decision,
6: but a personal one. I don't tell anybody, go out and get a gun. I don't, right? But if you're going to, you should be very well trained and that understand that even if you have to use that gun to defend yourself, that life is never going to be the same again. Can you show us where you carry it? I have a
7: purse. Coming up. I have
6: in this holster. It's right here in the front pocket. Weapon
7: of
12: choice. It's pink. It is pink. (laughs) Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
3: Any discussion of the right to bear arms has to take note of the Second Amendment. And any discussion of just who's bearing arms has to take note of the growing ranks of women. Two reports now. Tracy Smith will be along shortly. But first, here's Anthony Mason.
15: At the heart of the debate over guns in America is a single inscrutable sentence, the Second Amendment of the Bill of Rights. The wording itself is unusual, isn't it?
5: It's unusual, it's short, it's clogged with commas.
15: But there's a Michael Waldman, who heads the Brennan Center for Justice at New York University Law School, is the author of a biography of the Second Amendment.
5: The Second Amendment says, "A well regulated militia, comma, being necessary to the security of a free state, comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, comma, shall not be infringed." What does that
15: mean? The most disputed clause in the Constitution is the phrase about militias, which were a great concern when the Bill of Rights was written in 1792.
13: At the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, there was a very big controversy about how to allocate military power.
15: Nelson Lund, professor of constitutional law at George Mason University, says the states feared the new government would try to disarm the 13 state militias, which required every white male over 16 to own a musket.
13: The anti-federalists were very worried that the states were being deprived of their power, would be deprived of their power to resist federal tyranny.
15: The militia, sir, is our ultimate safety, Patrick Henry argued. We can have no security without it. While guns were commonplace then, so were gun regulations. New York and Boston prohibited the firing of guns within city limits. And in the notes for the Constitutional Convention, Waldman says...
5: There's literally not a word about it protecting an individual right for gun ownership, for self-protection, hunting, or any of the other things we think about
15: now. You know, there's one side that, that believes that this amendment... Refers specifically and only to militias.
13: Well, I know people say that, but it just can't be true. If you look (laughs) at what the words say, it says the right of the people to keep and bear arms. It does not say the right of the states or the right of the militias. It says the right of the people.
15: The debate over the Second Amendment came to a head here at the Supreme Court in 2008 in a case filed over the Capitol's gun laws called District of Columbia versus Heller. In a 5-4 to four vote, the court affirmed an individual's right to keep and bear arms, striking down D.C.'s ban on handguns in the home. The inherent right of self-defense, Justice Antonin Scalia wrote in the majority opinion, has been central to the Second Amendment right. But Scalia added the right is not unlimited, also leaving room for gun regulation. Is that a continuing
13: gray it, it is absolutely a continuing gray area. It is absolutely a continuing
15: gray area. Another gray area is how the court might rule on future Second Amendment issues after the sudden death of Judge Scalia in February.
13: Uh, so, you know, a lot depends on, on who replaces Justice Scalia.
0: Fire at will. This is Tracy Smith. You might call it girl power. Women are the fastest-growing group of gun owners in the U.S., according to the National Shooting Sports Foundation. And this is typically their weapon of choice, a semi-automatic handgun. Lightweight, accurate, and so simple that practically anyone can learn to use it. In states that allow it... A handgun has, for some, become the must-have accessory. Why do you carry a gun? Personal protection. I've got two kids. I just feel safer having it with me. Can you show us where you carry it?
10: I have a purse. And I have in this holster. It's right here
0: in the front pocket.
10: I carry it on my person. It's
0: pink. It is pink. <laughs> I'm a girl. <laughs> 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 Turns out most prefer basic black. And since more women than ever are taking up arms, there are gun stores that cater to women, like this one in Shawnee, Kansas. The name on the sign says it all. Do you get a lot of women who come in and say, I want something that slips in my yoga pants?
7: We, we actually do. We have a lot of women that come in and say, we don't use a belt. So how do I carry my gun?
0: Becky Beaker and her husband opened the store in 2012, selling things like thinner, lighter guns and purses with handgun compartments.
7: Where does the gun go in this guy? Dedicated pocket on the back, and it has the two zippers, so you can access the gun from either side.
0: And these are for, like, a fancy night out?
7: Right. It might be date night.
0: Are these popular?
7: They are. More popular in summer, of course.
0: Wow. Okay. There you go. Beyond all the lace and leather, Becky Beaker is also selling readiness. There are people out there who will say, if a woman gets a gun, it's more likely it'll be used against her than she'll use it in self-defense.
7: That's a difficult one. But I'll tell you, if somebody wants to come in here and buy a firearm, and I think it's going to be more of a threat to them until they're trained, we won't do it. The truth is that everything I sell here is either for recreation, in which case, please, use it all you like. Use it more than you like. (laughs) It's for self-defense, and I hope that no one ever has to use it for self-defense.
0: She knows Stop what that feels ourselves. like. Four men selected her
1: and her business to be robbed.
0: In January 2015, four armed robbers opened fire at the original She's a Pistol store, killing Becky's husband. She says she survived only because she shot back.
1: Two of the four robbers are still in critical condition.
7: I made that choice years ago, that if I was pushed to that point, I was comfortable pulling the trigger.
16: But did you ever really think?
7: Of course not. You never think you'll have to use it. We cannot depend on a third party, be it our husband, our, our father, a police officer, anyone else, to protect us. We have to take that responsibility on ourselves.
17: Next, it's not like the movies, the bullets don't
3: bounce off. Just how bulletproof
15: is bulletproof?
12: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
3: To protect against gun violence, experts are testing the limits of just what bulletproof really means. Serena Altshul has been watching them at work.
2: This may look like your average, everyday auto shop, except for one thing, quality control. Trent Kimball is the very confident and brave founder and CEO of Texas Armoring Corporation, a San Antonio-based company that turns ordinary cars into rolling fortresses. These aren't bank trucks that we're talking about. These are passenger
17: vehicles that can stop any type of rifle round or handgun, even up to uh, hand grenades, IEDs, those type of uh, explosives. We'll take But on a project that most companies don't
2: call make. these vehicles bulletproof. You can make something 100% bulletproof? No, bulletproof does not exist.
17: All our vehicles are bullet resistant. It's not like the movies. The bullets don't bounce off. It actually catches the bullet. The glass will crack, uh, it'll splinter. You just don't want it to penetrate. That's, through. that's correct. It's not going to penetrate.
2: What you'll see is in the next. Tearing period, cars okay. down to their skeletons, Kimball and his crew install custom ballistic steel plates and ballistic glass, and then put it all back together as good as new. Completely armored? The cost to armor a car goes from $40,000 on up, and Kimball says business is good and getting
17: better economic uh, stress on the, on, in the world, the economic downturn, the terrorism, that type of world that we live in nowadays is, is good for business, unfortunately.
5: Going hot here in just a second.
2: Who needs these armored vehicles?
17: So our clientele range from heads of state of foreign countries
2: all the way down to a soccer mom here in the U.S. Protection against kidnapping, protection against uh, assault from an angry soccer
17: parent. Outside the U.S., it's mainly protection against kidnapping for ransom. Inside the U.S., they're usually protecting just against the random street crime.
1: When I got hit, when I first got hit, it felt like a ton of bricks.
2: Detective Michael LeVay of the NYPD knows firsthand the value of protection. In 2013, he was shot in his ballistic vest during a routine stop for a minor subway violation.
1: Gentleman gets up. He starts walking towards the train car door. Uh, I see him reach into his waistband, like a jerk motion with his hand. Pulls out a gun. First round goes off. It strikes me in my vest.
2: And you were hit where exactly?
1: I got hit pretty much dead center of the vest. Thankfully, it stopped it. Uh, I believe it pierced the vest a little bit, but enough that... ALL I HAD WAS PRETTY MUCH A GIANT BRUISE.
2: THE FIRST COMMERCIALLY AVAILABLE BULLET RESISTANT VEST WAS INVENTED IN 1893 BY A CHICAGO CATHOLIC PRIEST NAMED CASIMIR ZEGLIN, WHO PROVED HIS GARMENT WORKED BY HAVING HIMSELF SHOT IN FRONT OF AN AUDIENCE. SOON, HIGH-PROFILE PEOPLE AROUND THE WORLD BOUGHT THE SILK AND STEEL VEST, INCLUDING THE ARCHDUKE Franz FERDINAND OF AUSTRIA. But Ferdinand reportedly forgot to wear his vest on June 28, 1914, when an assassin shot and killed him, igniting World War I. Recent experiments proved Zeglin's invention could have stopped that fateful shot. Fortunately for Detective LeVay, he didn't forget to put his vest on. I'm here because the vest saved my life. And I try to be
1: the guy to talk to some of the younger officers. And just listen. Take, take care of yourself. You could get into a dangerous situation. Watch yourself. Watch your partner's back, and
3: be careful out there. As of this weekend, the city of Chicago, just this year, has recorded more than 2,300 shooting victims so far. Now, Michelle Miller tells us some unarmed urban warriors are trying to chart a different course.
11: Guys, wizards, elves, wizards.
16: Eddie Bocanegra is determined to help Chicago teenagers build a bright future by using lessons from his own dark past. So you were in prison. Correct. What did you do? I shot and killed somebody. And you have to live with that. I do. Bocanegra served 14 years and three months for that gang-related murder, getting out early for good behavior, and earning a social work degree.
3: So I think there is no better
16: way than to ask forgiveness than by doing the work that I do. Hey,
9: what's
8: up, buddy? Hey, good work today, man. Oh, thank you.
16: His work is Urban Warriors, a program that he launched back in 2014 at the YMCA of Metro Chicago.
8: My name is Caesar. I feel good, you know, this week went pretty fast,
16: you know. The goal, to halt an epidemic of gun violence. So every time that we see a 14-year-old kid being shot and killed, it has a ripple effect in the rest of our communities. Lately, those ripples look more like tidal waves. He just shot at me right there! With well over 300 homicides already, 2016 is on pace to be Chicago's deadliest year in almost two decades. And most of the victims are African-American. Nationwide, homicide is the leading cause of death among young black men. Nine out of ten times, those fatalities are by gun. I would argue that we've lost more children in our streets in the last five years than we have in the last 10 years in war. It's a comparison by design. Boca Negra believes that military veterans are uniquely qualified to mentor young men from high crime neighborhoods. So he brings them together at weekly support group meetings where they share stories and bonding activities. The common thread, post-traumatic stress disorder from time spent on a battlefield.
1: I went to a nightclub for one of my cousin's party, this was like a week and a half ago, and they started shooting inside the club. A
16: week and a half ago? Yes,
1: a girl, she got shot in her head, and a security guard, he was shot in his leg, and so we had to apply a tourniquet to his leg.
17: So what, I gotta tag everybody
16: over here. At 22, veteran Jamal McPherson is not much older than the young men he mentors at Urban Warriors. When he was their age, he left the streets of Chicago to join the military. I think
1: they're going to do the odds. Uh, and so by me sharing my traumatic experience, this opened up a door for them to share their traumatic experience and confide in us.
16: Some of the veterans aren't much older than you are. I know. Are they big brothers, father figures? They're, they're more like brothers to me. 18-year-old Miguel Ariola, 18-year-old Jaime DeLuna, and 17-year-old Noah Bakker all joined gangs early. How old were you when you held your first gun?
11: Ten years old. Fourteen.
16: Fourteen. How easy is it to get one?
4: One, two, three.
16: But since graduating from Urban Warriors, they're no longer actively involved in gangs. The program is now being studied at the University of Chicago. (laughs) But one thing is clear already. (laughs) There's a little bit of hope where there was once no hope at all the guy who came in how is he different from the guy who came out
11: i don't see myself taking a life no more i see myself changing somebody's life or i don't see myself going to prison i see myself going to college
10: okay who did you shoot sean, sean. my Gun sister. sister i from didn't mean okay
12: sean
3: when oh, children okay. shoot children next <laughs>
12: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
3: Just how common is it for a child to accidentally shoot and kill another child? One-time presidential candidate Adlai Stevenson shot and killed a female cousin in a gun mishap when he was a boy. That was back in 1912. Martha Teichner has a more recent example.
2: They were riding their bikes to school that day. Erin turned around and came back. I'm like, what are you doing? You're going to be late. She goes, I just want to tell you I love you, Mommy, and gave me a nice kiss.
9: Those were the last words and the last kiss Lee Smith and her daughter Erin would ever share.
8: I always tried to make her laugh every chance I could. She was definitely uh, I mean, the best kid sister I, I could have.
2: Whenever I said, all right, I want your picture, he'd put his arm around her.
14: Oh,
9: Sean Smith, arm around his sister, the day before it happened. June 5, 1989, in a South Florida suburb. She was eight, he was ten. His, the little voice on the excruciating 911 call. I, was, I didn't know my dad's gun was loaded. and
2: Okay. And I shot her. Okay. I didn't mean to. Okay, listen. Three Who did you shoot, Sean? My gun sister. Gun I didn't mean to. to.
10: Okay, Sean, don't worry. Everything's okay.
9: Nationwide, there are no definitive counts, but according to multiple sources, 100 or more kids are killed accidentally every year. In Miramar, near Fort Lauderdale, a hysterical... Sean and Aaron were home alone after school. Hunting for video games, Sean found the gun in his father's dresser.
8: I thought of it like any other, you know, toy gun that I had because it looked very similar I remember her backing away to the wall, and I remember at that point uh, aiming it out the front window, and the trigger went off uh, just as she was running out of the room.
15: She's
10: dead. She's dead? Yes, please get my mom and dad. Oh, my God.
8: I remember picking her up and putting her in my lap and looking down at her, and it's, it's almost like like she wasn't there. You could see the light was just out of her eyes. A tragedy?
9: Yes. Unexpected behavior? Hardly. Everything that Sean Smith did matches, detail for detail, the results of a landmark 2001 study showing a potentially fatal attraction of boys to guns. We put 8- to 12-year-old boys in a room where there was an actual handgun. Dr. Hal Simon is a professor at Emory University Medical School in Atlanta. It's a 38 handgun. This was the actual gun used. That handgun was modified so that the magazine was removed and a radio transmitter was put in so you could actually know if they had pulled the gun with enough force to have fired it, then we would be able to monitor it. That's pretty easy. The boys were brought in groups of two or three to the room where the 38 was hidden in a drawer. He had just taken it out of the drawer. He turns and goes like that. And the university blurred the boys' faces and bodies on the video, but it's still possible to see them firing the gun at themselves and each other. So of the 64 kids, 48 of them actually found the handgun, and 16 of the children actually pulled the gun with enough force that it would have discharged the weapon. When we looked at those that actually found the gun, almost half of those kids could not tell if it was real. It could be argued that a child shot by a child isn't the only victim. Sean Smith got into drugs and alcohol dropped out of high school. His mother's response? I'm not going to lose another child. I'm tougher than that, you know. I'm going I'm to save him.
8: The birth of his son Dylan was what finally turned Sean around. Now, you know what? you got to be responsible for another life. I was given a second chance.
9: Today, he manages an auto parts warehouse. Divorced, he lives with his parents.
8: I just finished it yesterday. But
9: Dylan lives there, too.
8: color was amazing on that. I like it.
9: (laughs) Lee Smith buys another angel every year around Erin's birthday. And finally, Sean can look at
8: family photos. So tell me, what's your favorite photo of? Uh, Mine is the one where we're walking hand-in-hand to the beach. Oh. She was always nervous about going in the water. So I would hold her hand and we'd go in.
9: Now he can remember his sister's life.
15: Ahead.
14: Without guns, there'd be no West.
3: The view from Wyoming. To some city dwellers, guns are a potential threat to life. But those who live in our wide open spaces tend to see guns as a way of life. For that story, we turn to the newest member of our Sunday Morning family, senior contributor Ted Koppel. If you've ever wondered
4: where the deer and the antelope still roam, this is it. It's
13: still a storybook West, you know, to so many people.
4: The big fellow, the one who looks like he's been riding all his life and bears a striking resemblance to Teddy Roosevelt, that's Bob Mondale. And this is his Mooncrest Ranch a few miles outside Cody, Wyoming. Oh boys! <laughs> Those are some of Bob's ranch hands getting ready to feed the horses. When they head up into the mountains, they'll be carrying rifles for protection against wolves and coyotes, or to put down a horse that's broken a leg. Even down here, a couple of the men carry handguns.
9: Well, you never know when you you may need it.
4: It's an enormous piece of land. Modell owns 5,000 acres, and then there's another 195,000 acres of public land surrounding his ranch. So you're sitting on roughly two hundred thousand acres of my land. I am. Well, you're welcome,
3: and I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. But I would say to you, uh, uh, I'm a good steward. I use it for grazing uh, my livestock, and
5: uh, I'm also a licensed uh, big game outfitter. And uh, you're lucky to have me, you know, watching after your land.
4: You know, when when people who don't hunt. Look around a place like this, and when you see all the heads up on the wall, they say, what the hell is that guy talking about? Conservation,
13: they're killing them. The hunters have played an important role in conserving not only wildlife, but uh, our resources upon which the wildlife live. There's
4: no getting around it. Guns are big in Wyoming. More guns per capita than any state in the country. As for the residents of Park County, that's where Cody is located, well, here's the sheriff, Scott Stewart.
5: If they have guns in the home, the low end's gonna be probably four to five.
4: High end's gonna be anywhere from hundred to more. And and how many people in this county do not have guns? I would say the a very minority. Still, when it comes to the rate of gun-related murders, Wyoming is below the national average sheriff Stewart will tell you he's all right with all those guns out here he has only a handful of deputies
5: we might have three on duty in the county to cover 6,000 square miles sometimes you could have a deputy on one side of the county and get a call 40 miles away chances are he's not going to get there to intervene in any kind of conflict that's maybe going on
4: so what you're telling me is people need to be able to take care of themselves absolutely guns are woven into the tapestry of all the old Wyoming families, that of retired Senator Alan Simpson, for example. How long have you Simpsons been out here? My
14: great-grandfather came to Jackson in 1884. My grandmother lived to be 100. She was born in Salt Lake in 1874, two years before the Custer Battle. She always carried a Derringer in her
4: and her purse. I assume that back then folks needed their guns.
14: Without guns there'd be no
4: west. This takes a 30 caliber. There is Simpson concedes a strain of violence in his family. That's it. My grandfather murdered a guy in
14: the main street of Cody in August of 1923. Because my grandfather was a lawyer, so uh, he represented this guy. The guy didn't like the result, came
4: up behind my grandfather, hit him in the back of the head. Simpson's grandfather got a gun and shot his client, killed him. A local jury voted for acquittal. And then there's the senator's own boyhood. I was an assassin. I, uh, We were bad. We stole, stole shells,
14: 22 shorts, and would go out into the hills and see how close we
4: could come to each other in the rocks. Alan Simpson, you will not be surprised to learn, is no fan of gun control legislation. Gun control in Wyoming is how steady you hold your rifle.
14: Okay, Mac, why don't you go ahead and take a few shots
15: first?
4: That's the senator's son, Colin, with his son, Mac. They call him Big Mac. Does this sort of match what your dad did with you? I mean, what Al did with you? Absolutely,
14: Ted. What I'm doing here with the boys is exactly what we did.
4: There's a real effort to instill gun safety.
17: People in other places don't understand how careful we are, how, how much we understand and how we learn from a young age.
4: When he was 13, Whoa. Dylan Romero was already a crack shot. It's an expensive sport, though, and his father had him draft a contract outlining what he's prepared to do in order to keep shooting.
14: I have to keep a GPA above 3.95, not do any drugs or alcohol ever, pretty much, and just stay out of trouble with the law, my teachers, respect
6: him and my mom.
4: Dylan started shooting when he was about seven. That's how old Ella was when we met her. But she and her dad, Bo Allen, have already been at this for a while. Nice shot. shot. When's the first time you you shot a gun? Well, I
9: think it was
4: when I was five. Oh, so you're an old hand at this. You've been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. You like coming out and shooting with your daddy? Yeah. That's Haley O'Neill at age five. Her dad, Justin, is showing her how to thumb back the hammer on her pistol. One
6: time.
4: Good job. She is as sweet as can be, and she's clearly having a good time. Yes, sir. But there's some people who might watch this and say, boy, five is awful young. Awful young. Not at all, actually. Tell me why.
17: Respect okay. starts now. Respect of life, respect of country, respect of game. Everything starts now. That all starts when they're impressionable.
4: Haley, turn around here a second, sweetie, so you can see the camera. I just want to know one thing. Did you have a good time? Did you enjoy this? Would you like to do it again? At this point, some gun control advocates in our major cities may be shaking their heads in disbelief. Folks out here though, couldn't care less. And they don't give a what people think about them back there while they're killing each other every day more than they are out here. Why do we have to listen to that? Out on a pheasant shoot, says Colin Simpson, people and their guns get along just fine.
14: It's a community event. It's a family event. The memories I have with my father and my brother and my two boys and my wife and my, I mean, you name it, those are wonderful memories.
4: To a great extent, our perspective on guns is shaped by where we live. This is The View from Cody, Wyoming.
12: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
3: So whose job is it to police all these millions of guns in an ever-growing number of hands? The FBI conducts background checks on gun buyers, use a gun illegally, and the answer is the ATF. an agency Richard Schlesinger tells us that almost from the first has found itself in the line of fire
5: immediately after the shooting at the pulse nightclub in orlando last month where a gunman killed 49 people agents from the bureau of alcohol tobacco and firearms went to work
16: atf has traced those firearms
5: within hours atf agents determined that the guns used in the attack were bought legally
1: he did purchase two firearms a handgun and a long gun within the last few days
5: the atf attracts headlines and heat For regulating gun shops, but that's just part of its job. Its agents also investigate arson and explosives. They played key roles after the World Trade Center bombing and the attack on the Oklahoma City Federal Building. Load up. But the ATF's bread and butter is pursuing illegal gun traffickers.
3: You got that locked down up top?
5: And when those investigations turn especially dangerous, the Bureau's special response teams are called in. Paul Massack is a team leader.
11: ATF prides itself working cases against the most violent individuals in the United States.
5: Earlier this year, the Detroit team rounded up suspected gang members charged with using illegal guns. Way before the crack of dawn, Bill Flannery had his men on the move. How are you feeling this morning, sir? It's another day at work. That day at work netted 23 firearms and 12 suspects. The bureau put more than 6,000 people behind bars last year, but the ATF has a track record that has put the bureau itself in the crosshairs since its very founding.
2: Our history begins under Alexander Hamilton as the first secretary of the Treasury.
5: In 1791, Hamilton decided to collect taxes on whiskey. He created the office, which morphed into today's ATF. The Whiskey Rebellion broke out to protest the tax, and some of the agents who collected it were tarred and feathered. By the 1920s, it had become the Bureau of Prohibition. In an era when mobsters were glorified in the movies... Agent Elliot Ness became something of a hero as one of the Untouchables who took down Al Capone. Oh, ATF historian Barbara Ostika on showed us Elliot Ness's he actual credentials. This is an iconic weapon.
2: This is the gun that made the 20s roar. Thompson machine gun. It's also known as a Tommy gun, and it's also known as the Chicago typewriter.
3: <laughs> Some little
9: typewriter, right? I'm gonna write my name all over this town with a big letters. Hey. From somebody get out
2: of my way, Johnny. I'm gonna spit. Well, this was pretty easy to buy, very it. easy to buy. Al Capone bought his first three Tommy guns in a hardware store. A hardware store, a hardware store.
5: The Tommy gun's deadly popularity led to the National Firearms Act of 1934, giving the agency jurisdiction over a range of gangland weapons. So you're controlling Americans' booze and Americans' guns. What's the surprise that you're What's so unpopular? The surprise? Yeah. Today, the ATF remains as unpopular as ever. The bureau insists it targets only illegal firearms, but some gun rights advocates believe the agency is a threat to legal gun ownership. In the 90s, the National Rifle Association referred to ATF agents as jackbooted government thugs. Public safety is the reason we exist. Thomas Brandon runs the ATF. He is a career agent who sat down for his first ever
14: interview to detail the Bureau's mission. It's not to take people's guns. It's to you know, regulate firearms that can be misused. We're a small agency with a big job.
5: But the ATF is not nearly small enough for for its legions of opponents, who never tire of reminding people of two spectacular ATF failures, the 1993 violent showdown between the Branch Davidian religious cult and federal agents in Waco, Texas, and, in 2009, the ATF program to track and arrest gun traffickers called Fast and Furious lost track of hundreds of guns sold to known criminals. They failed time and time and time again. Wisconsin Republican Congressman James Sensenbrenner has introduced the latest version of an idea that goes back to the Reagan years. I think we ought to get rid of the ATF. So far, the ATF has survived, but its critics have scored major victories in efforts to hobble the Bureau. Technologically, the Bureau has been deliberately kept in the last century.
7: Can you fax over the 4473 form? This
5: is how they trace guns used in crimes.
7: This is Danielle calling with the
10: ATF Tracing Center. How are you today?
5: The old-fashioned way.
10: Good, I need your assistance with a firearm trace.
5: On the phone. They did this 370,000 times last year.
10: Of a gun trace?
5: Many Second Amendment advocates strongly oppose a nationwide gun registry.
10: Yes, that's correct.
5: So Congress has prohibited the Bureau from creating Congress a computerized, Congress. searchable database gun
11: of
13: gun manufacturing yes. and sales.
11: All righty.
13: I think that having a database of gun sales amounts to de facto gun registration, and that is something that Congress would never approve and which I would never approve of.
5: Without a searchable database, it took 12 hours to find out who owned the guns used in the San Bernardino massacre last December.
14: Does that make sense to you? You know, no. I mean, with technology, uh, but there's a lot of things that don't make sense in this town, you know? And so, uh, yeah, would it be efficient and effective? Absolutely. Um, would the taxpayers benefit with public safety? Absolutely. Are we allowed to do it? No. The ATF's
5: Gun Tracing Center is stacked with thousands of paper records, often all but unreadable, from gun shops that are out of business. They sometimes have to go through these, page by page, to trace a firearm. Then there are the 139,000 gun dealers that are still in business. The ATF has just 620 investigators to keep an eye on them. Do you think that there is a concerted effort to keep ATF as weak as possible?
14: Uh, From sitting in the seat and being around, I would be naive to answer your question, to think that the the politics of uh, firearms enforcement, that there's not some translation into our budget allocation. That's a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm learning the job. Can I
5: assume that that's yes? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to add 200 more ATF agents. In January, President Obama responded to the Fire San Bernardino shooting by proposing lost, to beef uh, up the ATF. Guns. Do you think the president will get his 200 extra ATF agents? No. Boy, he didn't even hesitate. No. Today, the ATF finds itself in a familiar position. The agency that keeps trying to exert its authority over guns remains under the gun.
3: In the wake of a deadly shooting rampage back in 1996, the Australian government reacted quickly and decisively to ban certain guns. So, did it didn't make a difference? Seth Doan takes a look.
4: It's said that when you lose your parents, you lose your past. When you lose
9: your child, you lose your future.
1: Carolyn Lawton flung herself on top of her daughter when a gunman started shooting. But it was not enough to save Sarah's life. She was 15. she
4: just turned 15, yes.
3: One American is among the injured in what is being described as the worst massacre this century. A lone gunman with a high-powered
1: rifle... The shooting in a cafe in the Tasmanian town of Port Arthur happened 20 years ago, but telling the story still makes Carolyn shake. What's it like being in a mass shooting?
4: It's beyond frightening. It's haunting. And for every bullet that's fired, that's a life gone. And bang, there's another life gone. And bang, there's another life gone. And bang, and when is it going to be my turn?
1: Carolyn was shot. And this is actually me. This is Um, you on the stretcher. This is me on the stretcher. And did not know for hours her daughter had died. This is what's left of that cafe where the gunmen started shooting. In the end, 35 people were killed. And it rocked Australia. It came just six weeks after a new prime minister had been elected.
11: I thought to myself, if I don't use the authority of this newly acquired office to do something, the Australian people are entitled to think, well, this bloke's not up to much. As to the question of gun control laws... the
1: So then Prime Minister John Howard, a conservative politician and close friend of George W. Bush, pushed through sweeping gun control legislation
11: just 12 days after the massacre. The hardest things to do in politics often involve taking away rights and privileges from your own supporters. The tough
1: new laws banned the sale and importation of all automatic and semi-automatic rifles and shotguns, forced people to present a legitimate reason and wait 28 days to buy a firearm. And perhaps most significantly, called for a massive mandatory gun buyback. Australia's government confiscated and destroyed nearly 700,000
11: firearms, reducing the number of gun-owning households by half. People used to say to me, you, you've, you've violated my human rights by taking away my gun. And say, i said, look, I understand that, but will you please understand the argument? The greatest human right of all is to live a safe life without fear of random murder. In the 15 years before the
1: laws were passed, there were 13 mass shootings. In the two decades since, there has not been one. Plus, gun homicides decreased by nearly
11: 60%. It is incontestable that gun-related homicides have fallen quite significantly in Australia. Incontestable
13: it's clutching at straws. John Howard just simply didn't like guns. Senator David
1: Lionhelm left Howard's political party in protest over the strict gun laws. He insists they've had little effect.
13: There could have been something done about keeping firearms out of the hands of people with a definite violent uh, potential, but instead all firearm owners were made to pay the price. I don't think there's any relationship between the availability of guns and the level of violence. And to critics who say, you can't say that these
1: changes in gun deaths happened because of this legislation.
11: Well, I can say that because all the surveys indicated. I mean, if you had 13 mass shootings before Port Arthur and you had none since, isn't that evidence? And if you had a 74% fall in the gun-related suicide rates, isn't that evidence? Or are we expected to believe that that was all magically going to happen? Um, This one's where I keep the pistols and the rifle ammunition and the rifle bolts.
1: Lawyer and winemaker Greg Mellick showed us where he locks up his weapons. If
11: the weapons are in here, their ammunitions in there.
1: You have them locked separately? Yes. Locking up guns and ammunition in separate safes is another regulation, as are surprise inspections by police. Mellick had to part with some of his prized guns in the buyback. How many firearms do you still own?
11: When you were going to ask me that question. I should have checked. I don't know. The
1: That's answer, what? about two dozen. This is a Browning 9mm. Which he uses for sport, hunting and shooting pests on his vineyard. Basically from
11: here down is Riesling.
1: Malik sees gun ownership not as a right, but a
11: privilege. I'd be very uncomfortable going back to the way it was before when anybody could go in and buy a firearm. Really? Why? Quite frankly, I find it surprising you as an American ask me a question like that. It's just bizarre the number of people get killed in the United States. And you have these ridiculous arguments. Well, if people carry guns, they can defend themselves. But this is being said by
1: a gun owner, you, someone who shoots for sport?
11: Yeah. I have a genuine reason for using firearms.
1: From Tasmania to Sydney to
2: Carolyn Lawton's living room. The bullet went into my, into my scapula.
1: Right. We kept yeah. asking if there were lessons for the US in all of this.
10: I'm loathe to comment...
4: But my question is, how is it going for you over there? But I can't answer that for you. My heart goes out to all of you over there in America. Life is so short. And all and every one of us is somebody's child. And when we see what's happening, your heart bleeds.
3: I'm Lee Cowan. Thanks for joining us this Sunday morning. We'll see you again next week.
17: If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.